Back here at 88.1 The Berg, your frustration central, and boy, Noah, I have just been upset with sports this past week. Let's go right into it first with our headlines. Of course, we had the national championship game for college basketball, and boy, was that a dandy. We were thinking this game was going to be boring, but this game lived up to the hype and then some. It was a late three-point shot by DeAndre Hunter that tied the game with 12 seconds to go against Texas Tech and then Hunter made another pivotal three also in the overtime period and it was the Virginia Cavaliers a year after having been upset by the 16 seed in the tournament last year they re showed their resolve and won the national championship in overtime 85 to 77 and boy Noah what a turnaround this Virginia team has had in the span of two years yeah it's been a, a fantastic story I mean uh Virginia looked good all tournament this tournament. They've had uh, some significant leads over the last couple games. They they definitely get you worried because they've been losing their 10-point leads towards the end of the game. But in college basketball in general, it's hard to retain a lead. Even if it's a 30-point lead, a lot of teams can come back, and who knows what will even go on. But uh, the Virginia Cavaliers, uh, they're a very deserved team to win. Uh, the, the game between them and Texas Tech, very close, both very highly defensive teams. The tempo was really slow at the beginning of the game, which was expected. And then they just sort of had a little turnaround about midway through the first half. And, uh, yeah, just fantastic play. DeAndre Hunter was really the catalyst, but uh, they, someone that has just – sparked them the whole time for Virginia was Kyle Guy. Um, throughout all the tournament, Kyle Guy has been hitting just fantastic free throws and three-pointers. Last game, he hit three free throws in order to beat Auburn at the end of that uh, controversial win, but... Um, we'll get more into that in in a little later into this, into this show. Yeah, we can talk about that a little later, but uh, um, you know, Virginia played a great game, and uh, with the defense from Diakite and DeAndre Hunter and just DeAndre Hunter stepping up offensively in this final game because throughout the tournament, DeAndre Hunter has looked pretty poor on the offensive end, not really hitting very many shots, um, which is uncharacteristic for him. He's one of their best scoring players on that team. And uh, you also, you know, Ty Jerome, great small forward, uh, power forward, kind of switches around from time to time, mostly a small forward guard kind of guy. Um, he can hit hit the floater on you, drop a late three, and so I just think Virginia was very impressive in their win. And when you consider the key figures on offense for Virginia, you had DeAndre Hunter, who who essentially carried that team late in the game. He scored 27 points, and 24 of those came off of three-pointers. Or check that, I'm sorry. He made four of those, so that would mean that 16 of those 27 points... There, we got the math right that time. So four of those those uh, three-pointers resulted in that being... I did my math correctly here. 12 of the, of the 27 points came off of three-pointers, and, and two of those were very pivotal to help Virginia win that game. And then Kyle Guy also added to the scoring... Uh, threat for Virginia in this game, also scoring 24 points. So, and it, it's it's a it's a it's been quite a show by this Virginia team. After remember how they began the tournament, Noah, they were losing by 13 at one point to Gardner Webb, the 16 seed. 
Yeah, well, that's one of those one sixteen games. It was very uncharacteristic last year of a one seed losing to a sixteen seed, but I just have to say when when those number one teams are playing the sixteen seed teams, the first half they're really not playing for most of the game. They're they're trying to keep it close for the first half, try not to get any injuries, just play kind of average basketball, and then you see the second half. So let's let's look at. Um, who is who is a team that started off slow? Duke in the first round this year, they played their 16 seed team. I, f- I forgot who they were. And That's how irrelevant 16 <laughs> seeds are, unless unless you're UMBC or Gardner Webb this year. Yeah, apparently Gardner Webb. But yeah, so they're just they're. I, it's it's been a while. The tournament's just wrapping up, and it's you know been about a month of basketball. So can't remember all of the many teams that are in there. But Duke started off really slow in that first game. I think it was against Iona, if I recall. Uh, it was. I don't. Know, maybe. Okay. Who but knows? Re- Who knows? We're trying to re- guess. Regardless a of seed. the re- regardless of the point, Danny. So <laughs> here's here's the thing. My point I'm trying to make here is is that for for the one seeds, they just really don't care about the first game because they, obviously they want to win it and they care about it in that sense, but they only play about half speed for the first half. Well, then Duke played the second half and throttled their opponent. And it was, you know, Virginia d- played very well in the second half and throttled their opponent. And so that's what happens for the one sixteen seeds, typically. Now, UMBC was oh. severely underseeded, and they almost won their second game in the tournament Against last Kansas year. State, correct. Uh, yes. Well, when you look at 16 seeds... Their goal is to try and win that game, so they're they're giving it they're giving their one hundred percent effort right out of the gate. And the number one seed, they're the number one seed for a good reason. That's why whenever there's a a number one seed playing a sixteen seed, the sixteen team's gonna give it give everything they got in that first half because they know the fir- the first seed is going to be somewhat sleepy and if they if they can't keep pace well they're going to lose anyway so you might as well play play your hearts out for the heck of it and and that's why the 16 well the 16 seeds are always undermatched though yeah so well it's like these play in games too you had the the fairly dickinson some other team game and then you had the uh, north dakota state team who went in as another 16 seed that's who played duke's north dakota state that's who it was yeah. you finally got yeah. it right <laughs> i knew it would it would be coming pretty soon but I, we... I think i know it was a 15 seed but regardless <laughs> yeah, i mean we're still talking about this but um yeah it's just the 16 seeds are playing their hearts out and the real point of the story here is the Virginia Cavaliers played a fantastic brand of defensive basketball, and you can't argue with that. When you have, once again, Mohamedy Diakite in there at the center, and you have Jack Salt, who's another around seven-foot guy off the bench, uh, didn't play as much throughout the tournament, but still a good anchor piece. And they they ran a deep bench if they had to. If there were guys in foul trouble, they're like, okay, next man up. And they were all very good at defense. That is what Tony Bennett does, and that is defense. But I think we should look at another headline news here. Heading into other headlines, we also have one that involves staying within the sport of basketball, but up into the upper leagues of the NBA. And Magic Johnson, the Lakers legend, the man that everyone regarded as the true L.A. Laker. He's the president of the franchise at this time. And then what happens after the absolute disaster they had this year? He resigned. And 
it, it seems to be groundbreaking, Noah, because could it, be, it it just seems incredible that a team with so much promise and and this legend uh, holding a, a, a intricate role of the future of the club is is now well he he decided to step out because it was too much for him. Yeah, well, ultimately, there was who who knows who the true culprit of this Lakers fiasco was this year. The Lakers are one of those teams where they're going to have so many rumors on them because they're one of the best teams ever. They don't have the most championships, but they have a large amount of the NBA championships. You got the two powerhouse uh, dynasties is what I would call them. They're not just franchises. They are dynasties. You have the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. Always and forever. It's going to be that way. It's Boston and LA. That's why this sports rivalry is so great. Yeah, and Golden State is trying to become some dynasty like the Lakers and the Celtics. Here, The reason why they're not going to be like this for right now is time. They may have one of the well, you could also throw the the Bulls in there as a dynasty, but they're just not. They were good during the Jordan years. Then what have they done outside of the Jordan era? Nothing. Yeah, it's a, it's a what have you done for me lately kind of thing. But what I say is Celtics, Lakers have the history. They've done it for long stretches of time with multiple players. They are the two greatest franchises in the NBA. So for Magic Johnson to step down, there's a couple things that could have happened. Either Magic Johnson was really just irritated with Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss and how they were running it, and he didn't get a say. Uh, LeBron could have been too much to handle. He's very hard to handle for any GM or any coach. He's had many coaches. Fantastic player. One of the best ever players all time, undeniably, from an all-around standpoint. Or standpoint. And so I can understand why... Uh, Magic Johnson would step down because of all the pressure on him. But also, you know, maybe Magic Johnson had just made a lot of poor decisions. But when I look at the Lakers, it's just like, okay, you had D'Angelo Russell, all-star now, great player. You had Julius Randle. I mean, basically should be an all-star. If not, I I thought he should have been an all-star this year on the Pelicans as, you know, the Pelicans just managed to get most of the good big men in the year or in the league every year they had i don't understand the pelicans you had miritich anthony davis and julius randall and you're still not able to be a playoff team i I don't i don't get the pelicans (sighs) they're such a perplexing team and keep in mind last year they even had boogie yeah they had boogie and they still couldn't make it yeah well to be fair he did break his leg so yeah, 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 that, yeah, that may be altogether that, true. No, that, that was a part of it. But yeah, the I, I th- the Pelicans aren't that great rant, and they're also, you know, they're 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 newly the Pelicans, so you know, I, I don't know if that has any effect, but definitely they're they're not, but they're not known for being good, well ran, so it's not necessarily their fault all the way. They're they're actually good at getting players, and Alvin Gentry does a pretty good job as the coach. But, you know, back to the Lakers, you had D'Angelo Russell, you had Julius Randle. Those are two of the really notable players. And it's, oh, you also had, yeah, and you had Brooke Lopez. So Brooke Lopez went to the Bucks. Look at the Bucks now. Top seed in the East. All they, they only, they acquired three players from, from transactions. You had Brooke Lopez, Nikola Miritich, and Pau Gasol. Okay. 
Two of them, Miritich, or so Miritich, really good at three pointers, getting older, um, still a good player. Pau Gasol, past his prime, great off the bench player. And you have Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez can shoot threes from anywhere. He's make, a monster. Make any shot. He's he's not like I wouldn't say he's one of the best centers in the league, but I'd say you know he's definitely decent at rebounding and scoring. And so he would have been a great piece. And you look at, at all these reports and they say, oh, okay, well, the Lakers were going to have, um, we were begging these these Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka to keep these players, and the ones they kept were Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma is a fantastic player. Oh, no, he, no he's problem a bucket. There. Yeah, he's real good. Lonzo Ball, good player, but he's, you know, still more to come. I think he, he still needs to develop. I think he gels the team. Like when Lonzo Ball was out at the end of this year, and LeBron came back, you didn't have that gel player. And you, the Lakers really did not have a defined point guard until now with Caruso, who has been their best point guard for this whole end of the season, averaging around, you know, 12 points a game. Like, and he had a game with 32 points the other night. And if you had... That's the thing with the Lakers. They have him and uh, Williams, who used to play for Gonzaga on on their team, and these other guys. Um, also, their uh, Mo Wagner. He started playing recently. He's yep. not as good. He's he's worth. He's still developing. He's getting there. He was dominant in college too. Very dominant with Michigan. I mean, Michigan's not the same without him, and but they're still very good. But um, so yeah, so you have all of these younger players who are in your organization who are actually really good players that you didn't bring up were like okay they're like okay we'll keep him in the G League that Alan Ingram he's always fun to watch and so like I just don't understand what the Lakers are doing. I don't understand also why they've kept Brandon Ingram around. He's a pretty decent scorer, but he's he's just not what he should be. I think he should have been a trade piece, you know, a couple years back. Even, I, I mean, well, maybe not a couple years back. He's still fairly young, but let's say like two years back or one year back or even this year, I, I see he, he should he was the odd man out. He probably should have went. And, like, they're also like, okay, Josh Hart is just – he looked really good at the beginning of the season, but then he didn't do anything after that. So I just I just can understand. There's dysfunction with the Lakers. They can't even get Anthony Davis or any of these high-profile guys. You're saying you're going to get Anthony Davis or some other – you know, like a Bradley Beal during the midseason time, and you get Reggie Bullock for and Muscala for – nothing like he didn't really give up much for the, or, I mean they gave well they gave up actually Zubox their best young player for Muscala which I didn't understand that and then you you get Bullock who got better as he meshed so I, I think Bullock will be a significant presence later on but the Lakers just aren't good at they haven't been good at piecing together what's working and I think they also need to let or need to let LeBron get what he wants for his team. LeBron set up the Miami Heat when he went there. It's, oh yeah. It, it was fairly obvious. He's like, "Oh, okay, let's look around the league and see who's all building these squads for me to go." The Knicks tried to get him to go there with Carmelo, yep, but yep. Carmelo was really good at that point and LeBron's like, "I don't want someone that's going to like necessarily overshadow me for, exactly." But Carmelo wouldn't have overshadowed him. But 
it, in the in the thought process, Melo was very good. Yeah, when he went from the Nuggets to the to the Knicks, and so and also so he also and then the Bulls were really good with Derrick Rose. That was when he was. Derrick Rose was phenomenal, and he's starting to get back to that form. But he's—I mean—after that many injuries, you're, I, it's really hard to come back. We're rooting for him, but it's—it's it's hard to see a guy like Derrick Rose after all the leg injuries he's had to come back from that and and revitalize his career. But it's nice to see him scoring quite a bit and making some noise around the NBA, especially for Minnesota. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, LeBron with the decision back in, what was it, 2010, 2012, around there? Yeah, 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 somewhere around somewhere there. Somewhere around there, back back around when I was pretty young. And so, um, yeah, he... he uh, yeah, he built that team just in the offseason with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. I mean, keep in mind, the league was not as stacked with teams, but that Boston Celtics team was dominant, and they needed someone. there needed to be someone to compete with them because they were trying to get LeBron to go to the Celtics. That was another destination yep. for him. But, you know, all of this t- together, I've talked too long about the Lakers. I just think... They're out of the playoffs. They don't deserve much of our attention, even though we might... They might be brought up again in the show, but we'll... Yeah, I, I, I won't bring anything up until they, with the Lakers, until there's actually something super notable. But um, he, here's another... Uh, yeah, I've, I've said enough. I, Magic Johnson, I hope you're doing all right from this thing, and maybe the Lakers can move on. But there's actually, there's actually another basketball headline that uh, I, I like to bring up. And uh, last night, it was... The last dance for two legends. Oh in the my NBA. goodness! What a, what what a night it was in basketball, and that leads into to a, one of my. It leads into my first frustration, actually, Noah. Oh, it does, and it goes right to the people in charge of TNT. Yes, I'm looking at you guys at TNT, and I'm going to tell you why. Instead of showing Dwayne Wade's last game in Miami, and Miami was fighting for a playoff spot at the, at, at the time, mind you, they instead showed a game between the Boston Celtics, who had already clinched the fourth, the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference in the playoffs, against a Washington, Washington team that was already eliminated from postseason contention, and they did that over a Miami Heat-Philadelphia 76ers game in Miami. It, it just frustrates me that that you have a Legends final game and you're going to show a game that means absolutely nothing over that? Are you serious? You know what? That, that, that shouldn't even happen! That's very frustrating, Danny. I really just... I can't understand why the the major broadcasts would do that. You know, I'm not I'm not too happy with that. And there's that's uncalled for. I, the Boston Celtics are clearly locked into their spot. They're not moving anywhere. No game will decide it. The Washington Wizards are not a very good team right now without John Wall. They don't have the one-two punch of John Wall and Bradley Beal, and so it's just it, I, you're completely valid there. But the one thing that that was fantastic about last night, we just have to I just have to bring it up is it was Dwayne Wade's last home game. Tonight is his last away game, um, and it was a reunited 
with he was reunited with the Banana Bros tonight with all front row seats, and the Banana Bros are Carmelo Anthony, Chris uh, Chris Paul, and LeBron James. And so they all greeted him before his last game, and it's going to be a very emotional, very emotional night. But w- once again, for last night's home game, uh, Dwayne Wade's son d- did a remake of the Dwayne Wade commercial when he was getting drafted, and it was just really cool to see his son do that for him as a tribute. And you know that that's it's very very. Very great career for Dwayne Wade. Easily a Hall of Famer. Without a doubt. Yeah, three-time NBA champion. Um, yeah, twice with LeBron and Chris Bosh, once with Shaquille O'Neal, and just a fantastic player. And there's one other guy, and one of the best foreign players I've ever seen. <sighs> Living legend. He's a walking legend. And you you got you got to give it to this guy. He's... He's he he won a championship uh, against against the Miami, the Miami Heat against this guy. So it it seems it, it seems as if it's quite ironic that these these two legends who went head to head in the finals a while back both retire essentially on the same night. And it's Dirk Nowitzki mm-hmm. and Dwayne Wade. But with with what Dirk's done. He's really changed the outlook of foreign basketball, Noah. Yeah, and he also created a shot that no other player has been able to duplicate. With his size of, you know, being a very tall, very tall, I don't know, you could say seven foot around there. I don't really know quite his height, but he's around a seven foot, probably a 6'11". Gigantic. Very tall man. He came up with the fadeaway shot that no one can guard. And in his prime, when he was a lot more mobile than he is now, he could, he, he, I mean, he still can make that fadeaway shot from, from pretty much anywhere. He can shoot threes. Um, he's just not as quick as he was, and he's losing his athleticism. So that's just why Dirk has to retire. And both these players, Hall of Famers, legends, and are just fantastic. And so, you know, I th- I just think that's a, a nice little note to leave the leave the legacy of those two. But I let's let's get into some frustrations. We've talked too much about about legacy and our frustrations with the Lakers. Let's get into some real frustrations here. Yeah, Danny. some real some more stuff. Of them. Okay, I, I got one that I unleash I wanna, it. I gotta talk about. Okay, Virginia being in the championship game is my frustration. They are deserved champion in this last game. But the call that the not I'm not mad at Virginia. They yes, pl- yes. I'm not mad at players. You know, they played a great game. Yeah, they played I'm, their hearts out. I am frustrated with the officiating of the final and the, the end of the Auburn Virginia game. The stripes, the zebras. Yep, the zebras. I, I'm normally very side. I'm very willing to side with the officials, but this one they plain just got wrong. Okay, so Ty Jerome is dribbling the ball up. I'm sure many of you have seen this play. He's dribbling it up. The Auburn defender does not touch the basketball. Ty Jerome just loses it for for some weird reason, kind of stumbles. The ball hits Ty Jerome's back foot, which is not a kicked ball violation because it is the person dribbling the basketball. The ball then bounces out to the left side of the basketball court out of bounds with no other player touching it other than Ty Jerome. 
they're saying the the call was that the Auburn defender touched the ball when he clearly did not, and they didn't even replay the the play at all, which was super frustrating right there. I, I, why didn't you replay it? It's the, it's the last minute or so of the game. Uh, no, not even minute. It was like five seconds left. There's just seconds on the clock. Why did you not go and replay that? That is absurd. And so it bounced out of the ball. Uh, the ball bounced out of bounds. Okay. So Auburn's like, okay, we'll just keep playing. And so then they keep playing. What happens? Kyle Guy goes and shoots a three-pointer, misses it, Auburn fouls. That was a foul. That was an actual. He was. It was an in the path foul. Three free throws. Kyle Guy knocks down all three. Wins the game. Okay. Now, all I have to say is that there needs to be a new a new implementation system for officiating in general. I don't think there needs to be rule changes. I've been saying this for the NFL with the the Saints Rams dilemma. I don't <laughs> think there needs to be rule changes like they implemented. I think there needs to be a new way of doing the officiating. I think there needs to be a specific official that you know how they have them in New York or where wherever they're at, just a replay official that lets the officials know whether they got the call right or wrong so they can take back and give penalties that are necessary. But if it's something that's kind of close and you miss it, then it's fine. But if it's something blatant like a face mask or a ball going off the guy's foot, then you can get those calls right. I don't think it should be a a holding call every time in football because that's going to be a gray area thing. I don't think it necessarily needs to be a reach-in foul every time for basketball. There's going to be some things that get get away w- that don't get called, and that's going to be fine. That, But when it comes to these game-deciding things, we need to have that extra official. And so that's that's my my frustration with that. And Mark Emmert, Roger Goodell, keep your eye out for Noah and Nett because he's out here with solutions here on Fearless Frustrations. Yeah, I've this. I mean, I've thought this for many years, and so I mean, I'd I'd like to get into one of these meetings, but you know, it's probably not going to happen. But uh, that aside, there's I I got to move into. Actually, let's look at your frustration with uh, something coming in. Beef. Yeah, some something beef. coming from the NFC North. Beef. Yeah. Yeah, beef. It's all over the NFL, and it's been taking over headlines. Nothing like... You like beef, don't you, Noah? I I like beef. I like some steak. Yeah, yeah. That's always delicious. Well, this isn't the type of beef that either of these two characters would prefer. And it's... you, You know that with every single Super Bowl winning team, there's the head coach and his quarterback. Oh, of course. And... You, it, it's all over. It started with with Lombardi and Bart Starr, and then and then it was Landry and Staubach, and then Chuck Knoll and Terry Bradshaw, Montana and Walsh, Jimmy Johnson with Troy Aikman, and then in the present, we all know it's Belichick and Brady. And then, but there was this one tandem that has it, it it's been shaky. It resulted in one Super Bowl championship, but. I think that this pairing should have won two, maybe even three more Super Bowls, and that's Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. And but there seemed to have been a little bit of baggage between these two, and and it just there's been reports that they haven't, they weren't getting along. But it, it's so it's it's frustrating to see see great partnerships 
wear and tear. I'm not saying that that Rodgers and McCarthy really disintegrated, but knowing Aaron Rodgers' character, if he's around someone he doesn't want to be around, he tends to shut them off and, and not want to acknowledge them. And that might have been the issue here, especially with the Green Bay Packers here, Noah. Yeah, the Green Bay Packers, um, there, there was a lot of issues between Rodgers and McCarthy. Um, some most of most of the of the career of Aaron Rodgers though has been injury filled, uh, and he's he's very good in general. But I I just have to say that uh, that Mike McCarthy uh, may have been in the right on this one. I I see that you know uh, other players have been siding with him like Greg Jennings and. Um, just he's the only one I can think of off the top of my mind, but there are a few others. Um, Aaron Rodgers got one of his coaches, another one of his coaches fired this year that was on many of the media platforms. And I think Aaron Rodgers is a very hard quarterback to coach. He's one of those players that believes he's the greatest quarterback of all time by a talent standpoint. You know, maybe even with without the accolades of the Super Bowl champions or championships, and so I I just see why this this beef's going on. Um, I don't really want to, you know, even though I said I think McCarthy's probably more in the right on this, I, I don't want to necessarily necessarily pick a side. I th- I think it's just a small squabble, and I'm you know I'm kind of sick of hearing about about this pairing right here. Um, I, I'm sort of in in the mindset that you just sort of shut up and play on there, is is how I think of it, because you gotta you gotta pl- win, you play to win. That's what you do. Yeah. And yeah. so by all means, uh, even though I'm not a once again I'm not a New England Patriots fan. That's a team that has their you know they put their nose in the grindstone and just and just win games. And so, um, I'm I'm just thinking that you know there's a lot that uh that this team could have done very talented receivers good defenses certain years and um you know you just can't win them all so you know i i think we should move on from from this one i don't i think it's pretty pretty equal sided unless you have something else to say about it but i I think we could move on to another football beef that you have in your frustrations football beef let's stay with a different type of beef and it all stems off of twitter and boy if there was a team that was the drama of the year who would it be of course it's the pittsburgh steelers and it all stemmed from there was so much beef that and and so much there was so much that went on this year with the steelers because you had a little bit of well, first you had your star running back that didn't even dare show up the entire season, and he he sh- he easily could have been an all-pro. And then you have an all-pro wide receiver at the end of the year not even wanting to show up to games, and and then you had there was so much drama for the Steelers, and they finally decided to to put an end to the drama by. By having Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, both both those two figures that caused problems to leave, but Antonio Brown seems to still have hard feelings for the Steelers, and he threw quite a bit of shade on Juju Smith-Schuster, who was named in as the 2018 Steelers' most valuable player. And Antonio Brown said in this tweet, he said. 
He, in referring to Juju, he said, Boy fumbled the whole postseason in the biggest game of the year. Everyone went blind to be busy making guys famous. Not enough reality these days. By the way, check the list. So it shows that Antonio Brown's salty, and it seems as if he's really showing his true colors. Yeah, uh, Antonio Brown, I, I don't know necessarily if he's just trying to break his ties with the, the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. He was clearly unhappy. Um, I think B- Big Ben Roethlisberger uh, is not really the easiest quarterback to deal with. A lot of quarterbacks have egos in the NFL, like we like we talked about Aaron Rodgers last time. Um, you know, you don't have necessarily the the non selfish quarterbacks all the time. I mean, I, I could see that Cam Newton could be a, a pain to deal with. He's very. Um, more of an arrogant player, very talented. Oh, um, yeah, 100%. Throws, throws a lot of interceptions, though. I w- wouldn't be my preferred quarterback necessarily. But, um, yeah, I I think there's, you know, they, they've they've played well and whatnot. And so I think the, the, each receiver deservedly has their own opinion of their play. I think they shouldn't be going at each other, though. They were good teammates, good friends, and even Juju in one of his other tweets was talking about, okay, well, Antonio, we uh, we were good teammates, and I just don't understand why you're you're attacking me like that, which is fine, you know. Um, There's just going to be some beef. They're on different teams now. Um, I mean, they're both in, in in the same conference, you know. And so, uh, I mean, what are, l- let's be real. What are the Oakland Raiders going to even do? They, I mean, they've got some new defensive uh, acquisitions, but you went from having one of the best defenses in the league to just a group of guys because it's kind of like Gruden's trying to get his guys and integrate all the people out of there as his deal. And I saw another rumor, uh, like a pretty, pretty legit rumor today actually of – uh, Gruden targeting Dwayne Haskins or another quarterback with their first round pick in the draft. And I mean, Derek Carr's pretty good. Maybe they're looking for just a complete overhaul of the team, which might be the best thing for the Raiders. Well, we know what Derek Carr has the potential of doing. We saw what he did when he took the Raiders to the postseason, even though he was injured at the at the end of the regular season. Who knows what he would have done in the postseason. But it shows that Derek Carr has the potential he's been there he's gotten there into the postseason and i i think he just needs a shot with a great team all around him and it could be antonio brown who's the missing piece but then again he's such a hard character to deal with and that's what if you're trying to win a championship you have to deal with those characters and not many teams are are able to do it so well that's why antonio brown might not see a Super Bowl ever, ever since uh, 2010, because he's such he's such a big polarizing figure that it's it's hard not to look away from him if you're if you're the opponents or even members on 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 the Raiders. So that's why I, he's such a it, it's hard to deal with a guy that's that has sheer talent and they know it and they they have a big head about it. You got to stay humble, which which sometimes these guys aren't necessarily doing because they know they're so good. Yeah, yeah. There's frustrating. There, there's a lot of egos going on in professional sports in general, and uh, I think that's a that's a good little way to wrap up this this beef 
section of the NFL right now. Speaking of beef, let's put some beef under the grills for some hot and cold takes. Oh, I think we should uh, we should talk a little bit of baseball right before we get to that. I have a couple things that are some pretty short ones. So you got some problems here? Yeah, I got a couple more problems before we get into that. Okay, um, well, we'll go ahead and vent, Noah. Here's a here's a couple little vents of mine. Here's uh here's the first one that I want to bring up. Uh, Mike Trout re-signing with the Los Angeles Angels. Why? In general, I I don't understand why you would do that. L. A. Yeah, I mean Los Angeles tra- has tried to get players around him, and I mean they had Albert Pujols, who's way past his prime. Used to be he was one of the best hitters in baseball ever when he started. And then a couple years back, he sort of just decl- he just kept regressing. Still a good hitter. He's just not what he used to be. Um, pretty good, you know, fielder at the same point, like first baseman or wherever you want to put him. But you know, he's just not what he used to be. And uh, I mean, they have Andrelton Simmons as a shortstop, but they had a really dominant pitching rotation. And they brought in Shohei Otani, who's had some the injury bug, looked pretty good last year. Being able to pitch and hit, that's a fantastic thing to have for a team. But, you know, Mike Trout should – I think he – I mean, I understand that he's probably, he's probably one of those guys that wants to be an angel for life. But the way that professional sports are transitioning now is that the better players need to play with the better players. Uh, you have the the super teams in basketball. I mean, basketball is different though. But for baseball, you have the Philadelphia Phillies who've constructed a fantastic roster. Um, apparently, the Mariners have a good roster once again. Um, I, I don't know how. I, I, I'm just going to keep bringing up up as long as I can until this luck runs out. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, they had good. Like I'm saying, good free agent acquisitions. You got to bring people together. Um, but yeah, you, see, you got the New York Yankees, fantastic roster. Some of them have been young guys they've brought up. They brought Giancarlo Stanton in, a lot of pop in his bat. Wow. Yeah, he'll he'll smack a home run any given night. Um, the Oakland Athletics getting Chris Davis a couple years back. Oh, He's hitting yeah. 40 home runs every year. The Twins just picking up Nelson Cruz. Um, I mean, Edwin Diaz going to the Mets. Just you got to construct good players with good players in order to win anything anymore. And so it's just frustrating to see a a guy of that talent with one of the highest on-base percentages ever, second to Barry Bonds, who had the the best career on-base percentage season of all time, fantastic hitter, ridiculous amount of home runs, just great batter. You have Mike Trout who can field as well as do some of those those batting things. Not much of a not very I wouldn't say a huge home run hitter, but you know, that's that, that's all I have to say about that. But then I got a I got one more MLB thing I want to bring up and one we'll more. Some, some hot and cold takes. Um the MLB power rankings uh for this this week were very um very off, I would have to say. <laughs> when you have the Boston Red Sox in the top ten, when they, when they when they had a ranking of a th- of a three and eight record, that was not good. You had the when I the one that I was using was one of the official MLB ones, and uh, the Seattle Mariners were not in the top ten teams. Um, hold up, hold up, hold up! Timeout. You're telling me that a team that that won three out of four games against this team. 
is ranked not even ranked in the top ten, and and the team that they soundly beat is in the top ten. That's baffling. I'm sorry. I may love Boston in the Boston area, but but the fact that Boston is in the top five that is preposterous. Yeah, they were they were more. I think they were more like eight on there on the top ten, but at this or seven or eight somewhere in there. I can't remember quite where they were at. That was baffling to me. Um, the Yankees were ahead of them. The who? Yeah, the Yankees. The were The Yankees ahead of, yeah. have a losing record for crying out yeah, loud. Yeah, there were a lot of average teams in there too. I mean, the Astros looked good, even though they had lost some of their games playing good opponents. But they were, I think, they were two or three. I mean, the Dodgers deservedly could be a number one. I think the Mariners and the Dodgers were the top two teams coming out of the gate. I, I still think the Mariners and the Dodgers are the top two teams right now. Um, you you could have thrown the Phillies in there for for one of the well Phillies had only lost I I think one game at that point yeah yeah uh, I mean they they've lost two since then in, including today I, I yeah they they've lost three fifteen games. to one yeah it was a, it was a rough loss but uh, yeah to the Nationals I mean when you're, the Phillies are playing the Nationals they're both very competitive. Uh, divisional teams, so you know who who knows how that could go. But yeah, so I'm I'm done with with my my baseball rants for the day. That's enough. But let's head to the grill. Yeah, here's here's the grill. We're getting sizzling with some hot and cold takes. Noah, Annette, kick us off with one of your hot takes. Okay, I got one. Was the trade for Mark Gasol a mistake for the Raptors? You know, Noah, Toronto seems to be doing just fine. They're in the second seed for the NBA Eastern Conference playoffs, about to take on an Orlando team that's probably not going to pose much of a challenge for them. So I'm going to say this is a cold take just because Toronto is doing so well recently. This is a hot take for me, Danny. Really? very fiery, molten lava take because the players that the Memphis Grizzlies got were significant bench depth for the, the Toronto Raptors. You lost two great players. Jonas Valanciunas, who is comparable to Marc Gasol, better than Marc Gasol right now. Marc Gasol's getting older. I mean, he can still do things on any given night, and he has a more of a veteran presence in the locker room, which is nice. But, you know... I just don't see how that necessarily benefited the Raptors, and it really more be- more so benefited the Grizzlies for later on. I think the Grizzlies are, have got a lot more competitive once Mark Gasol left. They started winning some bigger games. I mean, there's. I mean, obviously they're not going to the playoffs, nor should they be in the playoffs this year. And so I just think that. It was not a very good trade on Toronto's part. And that trade for Toronto, well, then again, there, there, it, it might be a good thing if you were to trade some players from your roster because they could be a cancer. So maybe that's why the Raptors are doing so successful is because they made that trade. Who knows? I don't think so. DeLon Wright is a very good bench player that also went there. He uh, posted a triple-double with a high high amount of points the other night. He's not a bust. Very significant guy off the bench. Like I said before, good role player. Um, he can shoot the three. He can shoot the two. He can get quick buckets. 
a very good bench piece and ha- was very good for the for the Raptors last year. And so, um, yeah, I, I just don't think that was necessarily the right move. Uh, one, one more basketball hot or cold take for you from me. And uh, that'll that'll be all of my hot or cold takes. Is D'Angelo Russell the most improved player? Yes or no? Ooh, that's a good one. I am going to. He's he has improved, but his team isn't helping his cause out well. I'm gonna say due to postseason success. I'm gonna say cold. Cold. Okay, then who is your most improved player? I'm gonna say north of the border yet again, and. To me, far and away, it's Pascal Siakam. He was a player that was simply a role player, but now he has really emerged as one of the key focal points for this Toronto Raptors team. He has great defense, and also his offense is able to contribute as well. That's why I think Pascal Siakam deserves the Most Improved Player Award much more than D'Angelo Russell. I've been saying that, uh, that Pascal Siakam has been the Most Improved Player for a long time. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to lean a little more D'Angelo Russell now. Not, not necessarily from a, from a, from nece- not necessarily from a statistical standpoint, but what, from what he can do for his team on the floor. The Brooklyn Nets are not a very good team. I mean, you got Spencer Dinwiddie off the bench. He's pretty okay. Uh, Chris Lever, he's pretty, o- you know, once again, pretty okay. Joe Harris, Shalane Washington, pretty cool to have him. One of the best shooters. But, you know, other than the, the couple guys that I've named who aren't even really, you know, all-star, very good quality around him, that's why I think he is the most improved player. And when you look at the Toronto Raptors, they are stacked with good players. You got Kyle Lowry. You got Kawhi Leonard. Like, you, just those two names alone are better oh. than any of the other guys. I mean, maybe not Kyle Lowry, but, but yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still a very talented all-star player. That, you know, with those two guys' names right there, you already see that Toronto's a much better squad, and, and record-wise, a much better squad than Brooklyn. And so... I'm I'm just saying, you know, you you may be the most improved player on your team. I mean, his stat jump is ridiculous. But the reason that I say that D'Angelo Russell is the most improved player is he is carrying that Brooklyn Nets team on his back. And so that's the only reason why I'm saying that he is more improved than Siakam. And I I could see I could see your point in how Siakam is not really the it's he's well let's be honest he's not the player that is going to carry the Toronto Raptors to victories and maybe even deep into the playoffs but with D'Angelo Russell he has to carry that Nets team and he has to do it on his own so that's that's why it seems as if. D'Angelo Russell seems to be more of... He's carrying more of the workload, to your point. Yeah, so I have to call this a lukewarm take. I could take any any one of these two guys as as the most improved player this year, but uh, I just I just wanted to get your thoughts on that since we're, we're getting close to the end of the NBA season. And speaking of the end of the NBA season, look, before we, we go into the end of the NBA season, let's first go into... Who will be on top at the end of the college basketball season? And take and take this for what it's worth here, Noah. Hot or cold take? Virginia repeats, and we haven't had a repeat in so long in college basketball. 
Can Virginia be the team that finally breaks the trend? Cold take, 100%. Virginia had a great run. They had a lot of good players on the squad. I don't know who will go into the draft. Probably Mohamedy Diakite will go. Maybe a Kyle Guy will go into the draft. Maybe a Ty Jerome. Maybe their top three players go into the draft this year. I don't see Virginia keeping a lot of... Even DeAndre Hunter could go into the draft. That could be four of your players right there. Four of your of your five players, if your five your start of your five starters going into the draft, and then you're not going to be the same team. Tony Bennett, great defensive head coach. Virginia's still going to be good. This is the first time we've seen a national champion in Virginia in many years, and over over twenty years we have seen a national champion in Virginia, and so. I actually, it's probably closer to forty years. You know, it was it was in the the nineteen hundreds sometime, late nineteen hundreds, I think nineteen eighties. But regardless, the the Virginia Cavaliers, they won, they got their their title. You were in the ACC with the Duke Blue Devils and the North Carolina Tar Heels as the top. The Louisville Cardinals, they just had a first-year head coach who used to coach for Xavier. Looked pretty good with Louisville going in this year. They're not necessarily going to be great, but they looked pretty good for a first year. Uh, You also have uh, Rick Pitino's son coaching the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They looked pretty good in the the beginning of the tournament. And so – or actually, never mind. They're, They're in the Big Ten. But not so scratch the Minnesota. Uh but the ACC is full of good teams. Miami's good some years and so um I was I was thinking of Rick Patino at that point. But uh, <laughs> got sidetracked there. Got got him caught up on the brain. But there's a lot of good ACC teams and there there always will be. Virginia Tech was good this year. Uh, and so I see Virginia still hanging in there being, you know, maybe one of the top 5 teams, but I just don't see them being a repeat champion. And there's some teams this year that are going to be back for a vengeance trying to get it. That Michigan State team that lost to Texas Tech, a lot of those guys are going to stay on Michigan State, and they're going to be dangerous next year. You're also going to see, um, you know, maybe Auburn retain some of their players because they're not a, a known basketball school, really. They just happen to be really good this year. And their coach is a, was very good in the tournament this year. Also, you got the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They're always a threat every year. Yep, they always seem to be there. Uh, oh, another ACC team. This is one that I have to bring up because I think they're dangerous <laughs> no matter what team, what game they're playing. The Florida State Seminoles. Yep, yep. When you hear, well, I've talked about the Seminole chant before on the, on the show. I really like when, you know, you hear that Seminole chant at Florida State's home or when you're in the tournament, you have both bands playing. How intimidating does that get? Oh, you're you're freaking out. You're like, oh, man, I wish my school had that chant because it's really cool. But at the same point, yeah, it's it's scary to hear. And so, yeah, I just don't I'm I don't see Virginia doing it. I, I don't know if how you feel about this, but what's what's your thoughts? I love what Tony Bennett has done, but. When was the last time we saw back-to-back national championships? Oh, probably we, North have Carolina to, back in the day. We would have to go back and deep into the record book. So, to me, as much as I would love to see Tony Bennett and the Virginia Cavaliers win another NCAA championship, it, it well, first of all, when you're put in a pool of 64 teams, 63 of them are not going to come out as a champion. So, for Virginia to be that one team standing... 
two years in a row, it's it's hard to see because you have to you have to win fourteen games in a row. Well, yeah, and any team that went into the Elite Eight this year could have won the championship. Oh yeah, they 100%. were all that good. There the only there weren't too many too many big blowouts or anything that. Um, I mean, the North Carolina game in the 16 was was kind of shocking for me, but Auburn was fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean UNC could, is more is more than capable of winning a championship. They just didn't show up against Auburn, and they just let Auburn rain the court with threes. Yeah, the the Duke Michigan State game was was a close one, and could have gone either way yeah. as well. And so I just I just see there's so many good teams. You, even going deeper, I, some of the Sweet 16 teams, not all of them could win, but most of them. And you know, there's a lot of upsets that happen. There could be a really good team, like we've seen two 15 upsets that happened in the first round. So you, it's named March Madness for a reason. Exactly. And madness it is. And so, so yeah. Let's, uh, so let's have, well, we have one more cooking on the grill. We've already voiced their, well, voiced their frustrations quite a bit. So we're not going to give them as too much time because they don't deserve it. So here's my bull, uh, here's my my take on my grill. The LA Lakers will miss the playoffs next season. Hot or cold take? Cold take for me because they were fantastic opening the beginning of this season. LeBron James is still one of the top 5 players in the NBA even though he's on the decline, which I still I personally don't think he's on that much of a decline. I just think he had a little bit of an injury bug and still looked fantastic even when he came back still averaging around triple-double. One of, and he could get triple-doubles every night, but he likes to get his team involved. So yeah, the Lakers are going to make it. They're going to probably get Anthony Davis and another piece this offseason. They're actually going to get him, I think, with, you know, maybe they fire Rob Palenka and they just have Jeannie Buss and LeBron figure it out. That's that's my short, condensed answer. Hot or cold take? To me, I was one who, who was thinking, I, I didn't have the guts to say it publicly, but the back when my I was thinking that the Lakers could miss the playoffs with LeBron and well sure enough they missed the playoffs but come on LeBron this offseason it they've said it's going to be a big one for LA and they're trying to add more acquisitions and, and when you add enough key role, key players that that are in the mix you're going to be you're going to have enough talent to make the postseason so I too say it's a cool take but now let's head let's head into who blew it? And guess who I'm going to say? We haven't said them enough already. I'm I'm shining the the, the red hot sh- uh, light of shame on you, LeBron James, because you have helped this L.A. Lakers team self-destruct. You are the man who is supposed to be the key leader, and you lead this team out of the playoffs, and you let the a man that is an absolute legend in Magic Johnson leave the team. Look at what look at the mess that you have made and it seems as if there's no way you can help recover this Lakers team. Yeah, um I I don't think it's necessarily all on LeBron. He's a player. It's all LeBron. It's his fault. Yeah. It's his show. Uh, I think LeBron just had a lot of injuries on the team this year. It's like Kobe Bryant said at best. Man, there were a lot of injuries. You thought they were one of the best teams going in. And now that they're coming out with a lot of injuries, that's that's how it is. So, you know, I'm going to disagree on that. don't think it's LeBron's fault necessarily. could be Rich Paul. You could blame him. I think you could blame some management. I don't think it's LeBron's decision. I think he wanted to get a lot of good players on there. And I think 
the Lakers, the way they conduct themselves in business sometimes, they don't necessarily get the good players. So that's that's how I'm going with that. But I'm going to move into my Who Blew It to round out the show here. And uh, there's there's a game that happened today with a 15-1 uh, loss in the MLB, <laughs> and it's the Philadelphia Phillies. They blew it today. Um, when you give up 15 runs and produce one run of offense, you blew it. And that's all I have to say about that. That's a that's the perfect way to end this show. It frustrates me. It should be a close game. These are both teams that could go and win the World Series this year as early as baseball is right now. And you know what, Philadelphia? You simply blew it. You even had Bryce Harper against his former team. You'd think that he would actually help a little bit but no you get plastered 15 to 1 wow that's that's so lopsided though noah Uh, just a bad game all around and like i said the only thing i can say about it to the philly philadelphia phillies today guess what you blew it they blew it and well we blew away all our frustrations out on this on this episode of Fearless Frustrations. Noah, take us home to the finish line. Okay. It has been Fearless Frustrations. I'm Noah Annette, and this has been this is Danny DeBach over here signing off. <laughs> <laughs>